from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. People looking to save some money at the grocery store are taking matters into their own hands. There's also an investment of time that goes along with raising chickens. But there's a lot more than a chicken and an egg. Dozens of feet of snow, the wild scenes out of California as it continues to pile up. And changing labels. You can only do it if the critter was raised here, born here, raised here, slaughtered here, and processed here. What USCA is proposing and why some aren't happy about it right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. USDA is proposing a new rule when it comes to meat labeled as a product of the USA. Under the new requirements, the labels would be allowed on meat, poultry, or eggs only if they come from animals born, raised, slaughtered, and processed here in the United States. Now, that's a big change from the current policy, which allows the voluntary use of the labels on products from animals that are raised elsewhere and then shipped here for processing. The current Product of USA standard has governed labeling since Congress voted back in December of 2015 to exempt beef and pork from mandatory country of origin labeling laws. Mexico and Canada successfully challenged the mandatory labeling law as a trade restriction on its cattle and hog producers before the World Trade Organization. Now, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack discussing the new proposed rule while speaking to the National Farmers Union Convention. This label is currently assessed on products if they're processed in the U.S., which means they could be born someplace, they could be slaughtered someplace, they could be raised someplace else, but not in the U.S., and still get this label. The proposed rule that we're putting out today would say, if you want to use this label, or you want to made, made in the USA label, for beef, poultry, processed eggs, pork, you can only do it if the critter was raised here, born here, raised here, slaughtered here, and processed here. It's reported imported beef accounts for about 12% of the total consumed here in the U.S. The new proposed rule would also be voluntary. A reaction to that proposal so far is mixed with support coming from consumer advocates and the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, which had petitioned USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service back in 2019 over the rule. But the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says, quote, simply adding born, raised, and harvested requirements to an already broken label will fail to deliver additional value to cattle producers, and it will undercut true voluntary market-driven labels that benefit cattle producers. Now, we cannot afford to replace one flawed government label with another flawed government label. The Meat Institute warning the latest proposed rules are likely to result in trade retaliation from Canada and Mexico and could cost American consumers and businesses billions of dollars, adding, quote, the proposed voluntary product of the USA label will have a discriminatory effect, causing meat packers and processors who wish to make the claim to segregate cattle, hogs, and meat from other nations, end quote. And USDA continues to be focused on competition in agriculture. It's already rolled out initiatives in the meat sector and the domestic fertilizer industry. Now USDA says several federal agencies are working together on competition in the seed industry. It says in a release, more than three quarters of corn and soybean seeds are sold by four companies. It's now joining the Patent and Trademark Office, the Department of Justice, and the Federal Trade Commission to start a working group on intellectual property and competition in the seed and ag input sector. 
USDA says it's also creating a farmer seed liaison to deliver on recommendations from a recent report. The same week that Brazil became the second country to approve the planting of GMO wheat, BASF announced it's halting the development of hybrid wheat here in North America. Now that move has wheat growers concerned about the future of research and investment. The National Association of Wheat Growers worrying that fewer innovations could drive more acres out of the U.S. Currently, Brazil plants a little more than 7 million acres of wheat. The decision to approve GMO wheat is said to be fueled by drought and global food supply fears. NOG CEO Chandler Gould saying that while GMO wheat could help raise crop yields more quickly than hybrid wheat here in the U.S., U.S. consumers still aren't comfortable with GMO technology. Now he says, with the BASF decision to halt the development of wheat hybrids here in North America, the U.S. could lose out on two innovative technologies and maybe less competitive globally in the next 10 to 20 years. That says a couple things to us. It says one, that the margins in the wheat industry are not wide enough to generate enough financial support for continued research. That's something I think we as an industry need to look at as a whole, not just because BASF pulled out. That means that we need to be putting more dollars towards the research and advancement so that these private companies and our land grants can all continue to help us move forward with that breeding program. So BASF isn't getting out of wheat altogether. Instead, the company is now focusing on developing a new type of wheat over in Europe. It announced last month it's cutting 2,600 jobs due to rising costs and weak earnings. According to Reuters, those job cuts included hybrid wheat developers in the U.S. and Canada. It's estimated 16 feet of snow has fallen in the Sierra Mountains over the last two weeks. And you can see the California Highway Patrol in Truckee is a bit tired of it all. It's now offering free snow as they work with crews to help clear the roads and keep them clear. The Central Sierra Snow Lab reports more than 48 feet has fallen so far this winter. The Sierra Nevada now has a snowpack that is 178% of what's needed by April 1st. While the West continues to dig out, too much rain in the Deep South is now causing even bigger concern. Meteorologist Andrew Wimmeyer joins us with the very latest. And our main focus again is going to be this flooding potential down across parts of the South here. And let's go ahead and take a look at this flooding potential. Yesterday, we had some of those outlooks for a few pockets of some high water down around Oklahoma, up around Springfield. And now as we head towards Wednesday into Thursday, we're going to see that shifting its way a little bit further towards the north and east here. And by Thursday, this could likely impact a good chunk here of the Tennessee River Valley. Here's a look at the radar here as we go throughout this Wednesday. Notice how you get some of those yellows and oranges and even reds. That's an indication again of heavy pockets of water that will likely fall and that's going to lead to flooding potential there from far eastern Oklahoma all the way over towards the Tennessee River Valley. And this finally wraps on up here right before the weekend as we head into Friday. Then our attention turns out west. We'll be watching a few storm systems that will be arriving here Thursday all the way through Saturday. Looking at three to six inches of rain for the coastline in the Sierra Mountains could be looking at one to four feet of snow total through Thursday into Saturday. And here's a closer look at that effort to dig out in California. Susie sharing this video from South Lake Tahoe. She says this is what it's like to shovel off the roof at her house. The person is standing on the roof from the first floor. Looks like they have a little more work to do. I'll mourn your Ag Day forecast in just a few. A new survey of farmer sentiment has dipped as producers' confidence in the future growth of U.S. ag exports continues to weaken. 
the new Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, coming in with a reading of 125 in February. Now that's down five points from the previous month. Producers' expectations for their farm's financial performance this year compared to last also weakening. We continue to ask producers about their biggest concerns for their farming operation in the upcoming year. And higher input cost remains the number one concern among producers, chosen by 38% of the respondents in this month's survey. However, more producers are telling us that they're worried about lower output prices and higher interest rates, while fewer producers are worried about input availability. Confidence in ag exports increasing peaked back in 2020 in barometer surveys when just over 70% of those asked said they expected exports to increase in the upcoming five years. Since then, the percentage of farmers looking for exports to grow over time has drifted lower, dipping to just 33% in the latest survey. Ag Day is brought to you by DeKalb Asgro Brands, official sponsors of success. However you measure success, we hope you find it this season. Starting later today, it's a big week for grain farmers as thousands are set to make their way to the annual Commodity Classic event. Established back in 1996, the policy, education, and farmer-focused event is taking place in Orlando, Florida this year. Now, in late January, Commodity Classic put out a release saying registrations were way up, nearly 30% above a year ago. NCGA leaders say at last check, registered attendees were above 8,000. 8,100 registered attendees, that's more than than any of the, the, the last five, I think is what we're tracking. And so this is shaping up to be uh, an amazing commodity classic. And so, you know, I think that optimism is, is maybe what's um, producing those numbers thus far. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to, to see, seeing that spirit kind of come to life during our, our Corn Congress session. And of course, we will be there as well. Look for coverage from both Michelle Rook and I starting tomorrow from Commodity Classic in Orlando. Be sure to come find us and say hello. All right, up next, a look at Tuesday's market action with Michelle Rook. And later, high egg prices have more people interested in backyard chickens. Tips for those considering their own flocks in the country. A mixed day in markets Tuesday with soybeans and cattle lower. Michelle Rook talks with Pro Farmers Brian Grady in today's Markets Now. A mixed day in grain futures on Tuesday. Brian Grady, Pro Farmer, is joining us in a setback in soybeans and meal. Was that just profit taking there on Tuesday or was that some squaring ahead of the reports coming up today? Yeah, I, I think it was both, Michelle. Uh, you know, we had the big gains on Monday and then uh, just you got the reports today. And, and uh, so the market was due for a correction and it pulled back. Uh, no major chart damage done and, and uh, just all in all, just a corrective day of price action, uh, which was probably, um, you know, kind of uh, expected after Monday's price performance. Right, because we couldn't get through overhead chart resistance, but also, you know, do we get some Brazilian harvest pressure when we get up into the upper end of those trading ranges as well? Yeah, you know, Brazil's harvest, uh, it's advancing. It's advancing slower than normal. Uh, the farmer selling down there has been slower than what it has been in past years. And, and so uh, there's some of that involved, uh, probably not as much as you would see in a typical year. Uh, the other thing that 
that's happened because of the the delays in, in Brazil's harvest is that we've seen the export window for U.S. soybeans open a little bit longer than possible. Uh, Chinese trade data out on Tuesday indicated that a uh, big jump in, in January and February combined imports there of, of soybeans. And primarily uh, those came from the United States, though they don't break them down by country until later on in the month. Okay. So was corn also um, seeing some report positioning on Tuesday or was it following soybeans and meal or crude oil or what? Yeah, I, I think the uh, the corn market probably is weighted down right now by the wheat market, uh, you know, waiting on USDA's reports as well, because the anticipation is that uh, exports will be cut, maybe corn for ethanol use will be cut. Ending stocks will, will jump as a result, and, and uh, um, but in the grand scheme of things, ending stocks are still relatively tight, and, and uh, so the marketplace is, is kind of dealing with a, a couple couple different scenarios, uh, short term versus longer term, and and uh, see how that plays out. Wheat market looks horrible. Technically, we did score some contract lows here in both Chicago and KC recently. Are we too cheap, or are we getting low enough where? you know, things could change or we could find a bottom, Brian? Well, I think to find a bottom in, in a big way, you have to see uh, export demand respond. And, and uh, the market has to tell, um, or, or the, the export market has to tell the traders that, uh, hey, we're cheap enough. And I, we haven't seen that yet. Um, the dollar is a big reason for that. Uh, it continues to just surge to the upside. And, and U.S. wheat uh, is struggling from a competitive standpoint on the global marketplace. All right. Thanks for joining us, Brian Grady with Pro Farmer. We'll have more Act 8 coming up. Get in the game and be part of the 2023 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH. It's Farmer versus Farmer for a chance to win the $1,000 top prize. Go to agweb.com to fill out your bracket once teams are selected on Sunday, March 12th. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joining us here, taking a look at our national forecast and really looking at more snow for the northern plains here. And they've already got some on the ground. Yeah, they have several inches on the ground. In fact, several feet of drifts across parts of the Dakotas. They don't need any more snow, but uh, Mother Nature has other plants here as we wrap up this week. And the Dakotas this week, they just keep getting a parade of snowfalls, one after another, kind of three systems that have been moving on through. And this will make number three as we go throughout the end of this week. Notice how we get some of those purples showing up. That's an indication of pockets of three to six inches. And with the wind picking up as well, and that's just going to mean a mess out there on the interstates and uh, main highways for the northern prairie. Let's walk you through the future radar system number one uh, working its way off in here. System number two and three moving their way through late this week. And again, we are going to be watching several bands of snow across the Dakotas and upper Midwest, even as far south as Minneapolis, as well as far western uh, Wisconsin. And we can even see the tail end of this, this low pressure system kind of spins around Illinois. Uh, we can even see uh, some snowfall as far south as Chicago and even on into uh, northern Indiana and southwestern Michigan as we round out this week. Meanwhile, our attention then turns out west as we're going to get that atmospheric river really pumping in more moisture to the western coastlines here. We're looking at three to six inches of water at a minimum here and up in the mountains here. We could be looking at feet of snow once again. Total Thursday through Friday and here's a look at that atmospheric river. You can kind of see that storm system developing and here's that atmospheric river just again pumping up lots of moisture out west and again in the mountain ranges. We're going to have heavy pockets of snow that will continue to be inundating this region 
and this is going to continue well into this upcoming weekend. We hopefully will see that shutting off a little bit as we head towards next week. Here's a look at high temperatures across the country. Cold up north, warm down south. 88 in Miami up into the lower 40s up across Maine and up into the teens across the northern prairie. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at your Ag Day select cities. Fort Smith, Arkansas. Showers and storms developing high 55 degrees going up to Haines, North Dakota. Heavy snow developing late in the day, high 20 degrees, low 10. And going over to California, heavy snow possible in the mountain ranges for today. China's hog herd is headed for a rebound. We have details coming up next. And later, with egg prices sky high, more consumers are considering their own flock of flightless birds, the backyard chicken bonanza in the country. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Another announcement from USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service, faster line speeds at some pork processors can continue for now. FSIS is extending the speed trials until November 30th. The National Pork Producers Council says, hey, that's good news. It allows eligible pork processors to continue experimenting with ergonomics, automation, and crewing while maintaining line speeds that have been proven safe for two decades. FSIS continues to study the impacts of those higher speeds on workers. China's pork production along with imports are expected to increase this year. USDA's attaché in Beijing reporting the country's pig crop is forecast to decline 2% from last year to 700 million head. But pork production is estimated at 55.5 million metric tons. That's a marginally from last year. The attaché also expecting China's pork imports to rise 4% amid increased demand to 2.2 million metric tons. Moving from pork to poultry, avian flu has pushed egg prices higher here in the U.S. Up next, why so many people are buying and raising their own flocks in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. The high price of eggs has caused some people to take matters into their own hands. A solution for some has become raising their own chickens. But as LSU Ag Center reporter Craig Gotro reports, there are a few things to consider before getting started. It's not a question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. It's how to beat the high cost of eggs. Some people have taken to raising their own backyard flocks, but how do you get started? So you can order chicks from online hatcheries or from local feed stores for approximately 10 chicks for around $35. But before you place your order, there are some other upfront costs to consider before you collect that first egg. The initial investment of shelter that takes feeders, waterers, a roof, a place to perch for the chickens, also a place for them to brood and lay the eggs. Um, that is all a part of that initial investment. And before you serve yourself that first egg, you need to feed your chickens. Duvall says that it can be up to $30 a month for 10 hens. And what about the time allowance? 
There's also an investment of time that goes along with raising chicken. So daily health checks of your birds, as well as monitoring their feed and water and making sure that they have access to clean, fresh water daily, as well as fresh feed daily. While the answer to which came first remains a mystery, the answer between the differences between brown and white eggs is known. The only difference between brown eggs and white eggs is the color of the shell. There's no nutritional difference at all. Different breeds of chickens will lay different colored eggs. And know the municipal regulations regarding livestock within city limits. You wouldn't want to run afoul of the law. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. All right, thanks Craig, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day, and come by and say hello if you're out at Commodity Classic. Closed captioning on Ag Day is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on Earth.